this is something that I think once people hear, it makes so much sense that we're kind of being run by these unconscious or subconscious scripts, but we're never really made aware of that. And so people think it's a lack of willpower, it's a lack of tools, it's a lack of systems, and yet it's not. It's these things that we were either explicitly or implicitly taught that ultimately end up running the ship. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, founder of High Fiving Dollars. And I'm Garrett Philbin, founder of Be Awesome Not Broke. As money coaches, we want to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo. In this episode, we explore how our experiences with money growing up influence how we manage it as adults. We talk about what money scripts are, why they are so important, and how to become more aware of our unconscious patterns so that we can be more intentional and in control of our money. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. So yeah, we're talking about money scripts today, and I'm pretty sure most people are be like, what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> so Garrett, what the heck is a money script? That's a really good question. Uh, money scripts are these patterns and these beliefs that we learn in childhood from people around us that we come to believe are true about the world. So these can be things like money is evil, money is hard to come by, it's better to give than to receive. So there are these things that we learn as children that we internalize and then believe to be true as adults. Sometimes they're true, but oftentimes they're not because they were learned through the eyes of a child that doesn't have a, a true sense of the world. Children aren't mature developmentally, so we come to believe these things to be true that may or may not be. And that's really the basis of what money scripts are. So let's dig in a little bit into the idea of we were taught as children. So are you referring to we were directly taught, like somebody sat us in a classroom and taught us about money? What do you mean by that? Unless you had a school experience that I didn't, no one sat down and taught me about money in school. Did you Did you go to some crazy alternate school universe where that happened? I did not, but I will say my mother was an accountant. Actually, so is my sister. And I, I learned all about profit and loss and uh, debit and credit statements and all of that fun stuff when I was growing up. Interesting. Okay. So you learned a lot about the numbers side of things. What else did you learn from your parents or the people close to you? So, okay. So I want to talk about learning because I, it's probably because I'm a teacher and I'm like, learning? Do you mean talking about lesson plans, all of that stuff? So when we talk about things we learned as kids or things we learn, it's not necessarily direct teaching. Somebody actually sat us down and say, money's evil and all that kind of stuff, right? It's more you observing the world around you, right? Whether it's your parents, you know, pastor, you interpreting those messages as whatever it is that you're interpreting it as. I grew up knowing a lot of these technical terms. I learned how to use QuickBooks at a very young age, like the old school, like I had to look at paper invoices and all of that kind of stuff. Like, so I was directly taught those things. But the messages I've got were, interestingly enough, this was, I know not intentional by my parents, was that I am not good enough to handle complicated financial tasks 
or handle complicated financial decisions. And so an interesting story that always pops into my head every once in a while, I don't know why, is we would sit around the dinner table. My sister and my mom would always talk about accounting terminology, really complicated terminology, or macros in Excel spreadsheets, like really crazy complex stuff, okay? And I remember really wanting to be part of that conversation And so I would start asking questions. That's how I always really enter into conversations is ask them. And I remember this one time, I think I was 14 or 15, where my mother kind of turns to me, like a smile on her face. And then she turned back to my sister and just kept continuing the conversation. And so she never directly said anything to me, but the message I got was, I'm not going to talk to you about this because you're not going to understand. So I'm just going to continue talking to your sister about it. So I grew up with this invisible script or an unconscious belief that I really suck with that part of it. And And we talked about my fear of investing for a super long time in a previous episode. So I think it also comes from that is that, hey, you know what, Sarah, you shouldn't invest because you have to learn all this complicated terminology. So why bother? So these experiences that you had growing up that weren't explicitly told to you necessarily, but you interpreted as a certain way have really been driving a lot of decisions for you as an adult. Yeah, exactly. That's why money scripts are so important. I've had a lot of conversations with people reaching out to me as a financial coach and looking into working with me. They're really interested in understanding, all right, how do I build the right budget? You know, what tools can I use? You know, I don't feel I have the willpower. So if I have the right system in place, then I'll get it to work. And those things are certainly important and to have in place. But I'll bring up, have you thought about perhaps how these things that you learned as children or how your relationship with your parents and money growing up, how that's affected you so that whenever you get money coming into your life, you automatically go and spend it and just have it exit your life. And so many of them just kind of go silent on the other end of the line. And they're just like, I've never thought of that. This is something that I think once people hear, it makes so much sense that we're kind of being run by these unconscious or subconscious scripts, but we're never really made aware of that. And so people think it's a lack of willpower, it's a lack of tools, it's a lack of systems, and yet it's not. It's these things that we were either explicitly or implicitly taught that ultimately end up running the ship. Exactly. And so if you think about the word money script, right, or a movie script, how it plays out, that's that's the best way I can explain it when people ask me what those two words actually mean. So let's turn the tables on you, Garrett. Was there anything, any messages that you've had growing up with money that affect you today? Oh yeah. And here, money scripts aren't necessarily all bad. So money scripts can be things that we learned that were positive or that weren't so positive. Uh, Some for me that I had was I was on a budget from a fairly young age. I think it started in fifth or sixth grade, although my parents can listen and be like, hey, bro, that's not that's not true at all. But I seem to remember it was around like 11 or 12, got my first budget. And that did help me understand what money is. Like it's $30 is something that could buy me either two pairs of shorts at Mervyn's or like three quarters of a pair of shorts at the really cool surf shop that I wanted to you know, get my clothes from. But I learned that that if I wanted something and I didn't have the money for it, either I had to earn more 
or I had to figure out a different way of, or just wait and save up for that kind of thing. So that to me actually was a positive money script or a way to manage it. I got to understand its value in that way. There were some negative ones as well. I learned the script that money is hard to come by where my dad is a teacher and he taught at summer school uh, oftentimes so that um, because my mom worked part time at some periods of our childhood, but also she wanted to be able to spend some time with us. So I just internalized by my dad working a lot that money wasn't necessarily easy to come by. There was a a time when we lived in Denmark and I remember we kind of joked that uh, when we were returning cans and bottles to uh, the store to get um, some coins back that were like, oh, this is going to help us like take a trip or this is going to help us eat for the rest of the week. And it was jokingly said, uh, I never truly believed that, but it was also just like, there's, there's enough, but there's never a lot of it around. And so some of these things, again, seen through the eyes of a child, like I, I can see how I've internalized those things as an adult. And as an entrepreneur, it's not true that you have to work hard to make a lot of money. There are some people that I've met that work like six hours a week and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. But for me, I've still really, really internalized and had a hard time breaking free of that idea that money is hard to make. I love that. What's coming to mind is another positive money script. And it didn't, so it wasn't directly a conversation or situation about money. So I was in grade two. Back in the 80s, early 90s, you had these cool plastic lunchboxes. Anyways, I had a Sesame Street lunchbox, a nice bright yellow one. And other students made fun of me because they're like, that's such a baby box. Like, ha, you like Sesame Street. You know, you're way older than that. And you're probably three, blah, blah, blah. I went home telling my mother I needed a new lunchbox. And she's like, why? So I told her. And she's like, well, do you like the lunchbox? I said, yeah, I love love the fact that it's bright yellow. And I love Big Bird. And she's like, okay, you don't need a new lunchbox. You just do what you need to do. You like it. You're not harming anybody. Who cares? Walk proudly in school tomorrow with that lunchbox. It's like I learned so much from my mom about how to be confident and how to ask for what I want and to be extremely unapologetic about it. Uh, pre-recording, I was telling Gare how awesome I am about my, my, one of my strengths is actually leading groups, you know, with lessons and stuff and how I'm leaning into that now instead of just doing one-on-one work. And every time I kind of stand up taller and talk about how awesome, awesome I am about things, I think about my mom in that story. And whenever I negotiate for contracts, uh, when I decided to move to Australia, when I bought a one-way ticket to South Korea to teach, when I got over $25,000 in free medical care from a previous employer and was very unapologetic about asking for it, I think about that story. I love that too. We're just going to go back and forth and say, I love that. (laughs) I love that. But what it also speaks to is that it's not always just about money. And so the conversations don't have to be directly related to money, but they can be around things like confidence and self-esteem and how that impacts our financial lives as well. We've said this before, but you can't talk about money without really diving into life and emotions and behaviors and unconscious patterns. And so one of the things that has come up for me as a pattern is fear of rejection. And that came out of me not wanting to feel rejected by friends growing up and not really feeling like I had a space of belonging. 
And yet that's also manifested in my financial life by uh, when owning my own business, being scared of going out there and telling people what I do for, you know, because I'm scared of getting rejected and having that little kid inside me be hurt. And I think that's what's really important to understand is that it's not just about willpower. It's, again, not just about having the right tools and systems and saying, ah, oh, if I had this, like I would then be able to go out and, and put myself out there and sell myself more confidently or I'd be able to save for this goal that I have. It's important that people acknowledge if it was just about the numbers, right? When I've potential clients reaching out and they're like, I need this system, I need the budget set up. It's like, if it were just about the numbers, any fifth grader could do it. Right. Anyone who can add and subtract could do this, but yet you are a very competent, smart, awesome human being who's been struggling at this for years. There is something bigger going on, and that's why money scripts are so important to talk about and why looking at what happened to us in childhood or what we learned, good or bad in childhood, is so important. Going with that, if you really dig deeper into the whole idea of money and money management, Yes, it's not about the money. It's actually about your fear or confidence around a decision-making process. That's all it is, if you think about it. Hmm. Like, that's what I've discovered is that it's how you treat your money or how you view your money is how you view decision-making processes, how you view what you do in every other aspect of your life. And so I don't know why this is coming up to me, but I am obsessed. I, or I was obsessed. And I got my husband obsessed with this show called Till Debt Do Us Part. And it's actually about couples who are really deep doo-doo in debt. And this woman named Gail Vals Oxlade comes in and quote unquote fixes their budget. And the yeah, the last part of that show actually has a component where they have the couple working together on a task. So it's not actually money related. So something I remember was, I think the husband was blindfolded and the wife had to give him directions on how to paint something. And so because she realized they had a really bad communication skills and that actually led to the debt and all of the resentment. And then another couple, I think it was about, it was like a scavenger hunt of um, long-term and short-term goals. And they had to determine if it was like true or false for um, either of the spouses. And then that had to do with their getting over their fear with telling each other what they want. And I thought that was so interesting because it helped their financial life, but it also helped their relationship and their confidence in how they communicated, how they made decisions together and sticking with it. What have you taken away from that in your own relationship? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I'm laughing because I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know by now I'm not going to just let you off the hook with that one. I was like, come on, yeah. let's hear. I'm just going to let you answer that. <laughs> okay. So something, oh gosh, how has it helped my relationship? Okay. So I struggle with this a lot still is the idea of being selfish because that was something that I was taught grown up that I that I cannot always ask for what I want because I need to not compromise but let go of all of my desires in service of other people. Okay? So like if let's say my dad wanted something and I wanted something and they clashed, I would give in to my dad because that's what he wanted and it's only fair and the next time he would give in to what I wanted. And so when I approach I approached my relationship with my husband that way very early on was 
I thought it was one of those where, you know how sometimes when you bicker and you're like, oh, I'm going to let this go. It's not worth the, the bickering. So I always thought, oh, I'm just letting this go because it's not worth the fight. But it actually was me being submissive in a way. I don't know if that's the right word, just to kind of let go. And I found myself doing that with some of the major decisions that we made. And it's totally not my husband's fault. Like he would suggest something. I'd be like, okay, cool. And without even considering if it actually benefited me. Right. It, it did. Right. But the point is, I should have thought about it a little bit more. And so what I've what I'm really working on now is speaking up, but how to do it in a way where I'm not feeling like I'm selfish or a total biatch <laughs> while still considering the other person, because the word compromise for me triggers up so many things like I I don't feel like I can compromise. And it sounds really bad because I feel like it's one or the other. It cannot be both. One of the things about money stories and these things that we learn is that we internalize them and then we come to act on them unconsciously. A lot of times we revert into these patterns of behavior. And that's actually a word that's been connecting with people who I've been talking with recently. I'd be interested to hear if that's been the same for you. But when I mention the word patterns, it starts to click for people and they'll be like, oh, right. Like I do this all the time. So there's something more going on there. And I'm just curious if you have any experience in like how to become more aware of those patterns. And, you know, if this stuff is unconscious, how do we start to become more conscious of it? And I have some thoughts on it. So if you want me to go first, because I saw that look on your face, if you're like, oh, God, oh, God, this is the fun of doing. No, video, I'm like, uh, heck, yeah, I got some stuff for you, Garrett. <laughs> All right, girl, take okay, it away. So I, I want to play devil's advocate a little bit with the word subconscious and conscious, because I firmly believe that deep down we all know the truth and i'm not like saying squash like i don't know what i don't know it's like we actually know it and we are actually aware of the patterns that we're playing out but we don't want to admit it and number two is we actually don't take the time to sit with those feelings or take the time to actually recognize them as they're happening you're a boss you're a boss. I completely agree and continue. <laughs> and I will recognize the fact that you told me I'm a boss and I will accept that compliment. So thank you very much, Garrett. <laughs> You're welcome. So something that I've gone off on or off the bandwagon, I don't even know anymore, is meditation. And yes, you can talk about it as a stress relieving thing. It helps you calm and be all zen. And to me, that's not what it's about. It's actually forcing myself to sit down and sit with my thoughts or be really present with what the heck is actually going on. So really interesting book that I, I'm reading right now called The Mindful Diet. It's how to create or integrate mindfulness practice into your food, like not into your food, into how you eat. And it was so, so if, to anybody who is really into Buddhism or meditation, there's the loving kindness meditation where you, you know, bring up that warm, fuzzy feelings. And then you say, may I be happy? May I be safe? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So this is for food. But the cool thing, which I related to money, is that you're forcing yourself to feel into your body. You're forcing yourself to actually see what's going on as far as like food triggers are. But now I'm playing with okay, if something's triggering triggering me with money, can I just meditate for five minutes or just breathe in and out for 10 seconds and really like ask myself what is going on? Because I know the answers. Everybody knows the answers to their own 
issues. It's are we willing to ask the questions to get there? That is so spot on. And I love how you grasped onto the word unconscious or subconscious and took a little bit of beef with that because it does to a certain degree sound like it's inevitable and that it can't be changed and that it's just sitting in some area below where we can access. And I think you're totally right. And the way to make the unconscious more conscious, it's it's not that something that's unconscious will always stay there and can never come out of it. It's what are the things we can do to bring that subconscious or unconscious to our conscious awareness. And you mentioned meditation being a way to sit with your own feelings and access what it is that you already know, but have probably buried pretty deep down. Like these are things with money where what we learn in our childhood, we we internalize and then we also kind of bury it down and we don't want to face it. We don't want to really face how, you know, maybe we have this idealized image of our parents and yet the way that they used money in relationships was pretty damaging. But then to acknowledge that we'd have to face our own relationship with our parents and that's heavy shit, but that's kind of what therapy is to a certain degree or a lot of it is looking into the past and not only staying in the past, but just saying, what are these things that happen and how can we understand their impact on us and then use that information and, and identify it and sit with it and understand it and then ask, how can we change what we're doing moving forward with that information? Yeah. And one more thing that I did, it was an experiment a few months ago because I was, I was just feeling really, I don't want to say bad. I was feeling really kind of lost in terms of my financial life in a, in, in a way, like not like, oh my gosh, I like suck at budgeting. Like I just felt really lost about how I felt about it. And so what I did was I did a 30 day money journal experiment. So I, I woke up at 4.30. I know crazy <laughs> times, but I did. And I gave myself half an hour to just write whatever it is that I had about like whatever thoughts I had about money. So I, I just gave myself permission to write. And sometimes I would type if it was easier. Initially I was like, ha ha ha, you know, whatever, I'm just doing this. But the stuff that came out of my brain, like I surprised myself because if you do for five minutes, it's not enough. If you do it for 10, 15 minutes, I still don't think it's enough. When you do it for like half an hour, you start to get into this kind of like flow. And, and if you wanna talk about the subconscious, I think that's when that stuff comes out. Going back to the word subconscious, I don't know why I have a problem with it. <laughs> but if you think about you're really nervous at a party, okay, and you're on like you're on your, I guess, best behavior and you're in guard, and then you have like maybe a drink or two and you kind of like you let loose. I think of subconscious that way. Like again, you have all that inside of you and you know it, but you're just kind of like letting loose. So for me, that money journal experiment was actually me letting loose for half an hour, just write whatever the heck I thought. And then I would give myself like a few days to revisit those pages and see what came up. So I'm in the process of doing a training right now around this. It's uh, certified money coach training is what it's called. It's working with this woman, Deborah Price, who I think I mentioned in earlier episodes, I actually read a book of hers two years ago, and then we connected uh, about a month ago. And there's an exercise in both the training and in the book that I originally read. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes called Money Magic. So the exercise is called Your Money Biography. And it was really, really interesting for me to go through this myself. The idea is to, for every year, write down the most powerful money memory that you have from as early as you can remember, which for me was around like eight years old, all the way up until now, age 32, 
what is a memory that I've had each year? And holy hell, uh, the patterns that came out of that were so interesting to see because having to sit with it and say, man, what was it at year you know, eight or 12 or 15 and having to sit like what you said, Sarah, just take the time to sit with it and writing each individual experience for each year out by itself was sort of um, enlightening, but seeing them all cataloged and then the patterns that came out was just this moment of like, wow, I never put those things together, those threads that had begun to be weaved into my story in these early ages and then seeing how they have affected who I am now and how I react to money in the world. Cool. Like, can you talk about a specific takeaway or pattern that you got from that? Sure. I would love to. Uh, let's go and just be vulnerable. You're so good at it. So I'll see if I can, if I can meet you there. Well, it's funny because you mentioned money and life, right? How these experiences that weren't money related really impacted your relationship and understanding of money. And for me, it was this fear of rejection that I had growing up when I didn't have that many friends and I didn't feel like I belonged. So there was a fear of rejection that got very deeply internalized. Then I was also the youngest child and I was very emotional. So my sister was three and a half years older, super smart, super type A, and I was much more emotional and I was treated more with kid gloves, I think, by my parents and by my sister. So I internalized this belief that maybe I couldn't survive in the world if push came to shove, that I had to be treated you know, with special care and that I didn't necessarily have this like warrior in me. Like I would always be protected and so I didn't need to learn how to fight for what it is that I wanted. That was something that combined with this fear of rejection has kept me small, both in terms of what I, uh, the risks that I've taken in life and also kept me small. Like no matter how much money I make or how little I make, I always figure out how to live within that amount. So in New York, um, when me and a couple guys started a music production company and we gave ourselves a $30,000 salary each year. I just learned how to live within that. And rather than say, this isn't enough for me to satisfy all the needs that I have and want, I just learned to downgrade my needs. And so rather than say yes to the guy's trip of going to Cuba or yes to this other opportunity, which would require me to figure out ways to put myself out there in the, the world that is scary and could lead to rejection, but could also lead to me making more money, I decided to stay small to stay safe. And that has led me into a pattern of downgrading my needs, which has led me into some other patterns. So I know that's a long answer, but that pattern of staying small to stay safe was probably the biggest takeaway I've had so far. Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable. And if you want me to reciprocate, I can share a story of mine. I would love to, because I think it's really helpful for the people listening to be able to hear themselves in our stories and it may not be the exact same story but it may rhyme and so being able to just hear that common thread or something similar so yes go ahead please so i was kind of like the opposite with you as far as playing small i was going back to the idea of being unapologetic i would just do things on a whim and my mentality would be like it'll work out it'll somehow work out and if it doesn't 
then it doesn't work out. That was really my mentality with money and decision-making, actually. So my decision to go to Australia actually started when I was in college. I remember I was on a whitewater rafting trip, and the guide was Australian, and he was talking up Australia so much. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm just going to buy a plane ticket, and I'm going to go. So when I, I think it was a f- maybe a few weeks later, I actually, I went into a travel agent and I got myself a plane ticket and I said, I'm going to Australia for three weeks. Went to my boss. I worked at a restaurant at the time and said, I'm taking these three weeks off. And if you need to fire me so I can do it, I don't care. He's like, no, you don't need to be fired. Just go. Then I decided to tell my parents <laughs> and it was like, what are you doing, Sarah? How old are you? And you're just going by yourself on a trip to Australia. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. I'm going to book some trips when I get there. And the end of three weeks, I'm going to buy a plane ticket back to Canada. And that's it. And I'm going to tell you, it raised a lot of like H-E double hockey sticks with my family. Like my uncle got involved. Like they threatened to take away my passport. And I'm like, screw you. I will buy another, not buy another passport, pay for another passport. I don't care. And that was how unapologetic I've been with a lot of decisions up until I'd say before I got married, again, it's that whole idea of like being selfish and compromising like that then started playing out. But back when I was younger and single, my decision to move to Australia to work a few years later was like, okay, I'm going there, buying one way plane ticket. I'll get a job offer when I'm there and I'll sleep on a park bench if I have to. Luckily, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> and luckily I did get a job, but yeah. And that brings up a really good point is that money scripts can serve us and these things can serve us at a certain point in time. So when we were children, we internalized these things because they served us at some point in time as a way to understand the world and to be probably safe in the world. And so for you, it's this, you know, really cool story, I think, of, hey, I want to go experience this thing. I'm asserting my independence. I'm going to ask for what I want. And F you guys, whether, you know, you're not going to stop me. And at that point in time, when you're single and you want to explore the world and you want to explore who you are, like that's a really great tool to have in marriage in when you're taking someone else's needs into account, there are some instances where that isn't as helpful. So, you know, money scripts are sometimes good, sometimes bad. And it also depends on where you are in your life and they can serve you at some point, but then also no longer serve you at a later point. And I just think that's an important thing to to be aware of I, I don't know why i feel like saying let it go let it go <laughs> <laughs> please god sing frozen just please do this this relates i or swear i everybody. will or i will yeah. okay go ahead please stop me from singing <laughs> i will stop you from singing let's talk about the negative money scripts or when a certain money script or pattern doesn't serve you anymore is so, so this is something i i do a lot and I've been doing a lot and it's been part of my healing process since I came back from Australia you know when I was broken all of that is thank the money scripts say thank you because your purpose was to protect me you it was something that again that you thought was best at the time for you I appreciate you but I'm ready to let you go and move on okay so now that I'm struggling with the idea of compromising, it being a bad word, it's not, right? But I le- I'm letting go of the script of I can be unapologetic and do whatever I want without any 
regard to other people. I'm like, thank you for that. That served me at a different time in my life. I appreciate it. Now I'm letting you go to write a new script on how compromise is going to serve me in my life. What's so important about that is you coming at it from a place of non-judgment. So it's not saying that you were wrong. It's not saying that you have to be or that you had to be someone other than who you were. We're all doing the best that we can with the information that we have at this point in time. Even people who do terrible, terrible things to other people, it's simply because that's what they know. So they're there can't be judgment, and, and this is really important in the work that we do with our clients, is coming at it and helping them understand that they shouldn't make themselves wrong for it. To say, this has happened, acknowledging it, not pushing it down, but just saying, this is true, and what would I like to now do moving forward? And what would I like to learn from that? And what can I take away and better understand what it is that will help me moving forward. So I love that. That's such a great takeaway for people. So maybe perhaps the the first step for people who are just starting to learn about money scripts is let's think about the messages you got when you're growing up and separate it from fact and judgment. So maybe make like a column, two columns, sorry. So for me, fact, my mother didn't talk to me about accounting terminology. The judgment was, I suck at this, right? And then, so practice that. Even practicing that, you'll notice even throughout your day when thoughts come up that don't even relate to money, you, you're able then to separate judgment from from fact. And as you keep doing that, I, I think then it becomes much easier to let it go, let it go. Don't let it hold you back anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but in that, yes, I'm, I'm like throwing my hands up doing the preachy thing over here uh, because what I see so many people wanting to do immediately is going into fix mode. And first, it is just bring it to your awareness. You can't, we can't do anything without being aware of it first. And so don't worry about fixing yet. The most important first step is simply to acknowledge what is there, to be aware of what is there. And then at that point, once you have awareness, then you can start thinking about what to do about it. But all you need to worry about at this point is simply becoming aware. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was going to say another song, but I'm not going to <laughs> release that. We need to save our musical talents for future episodes. <laughs> I was going to say Western society, not in general, we're, we're taught that to progress is that we need to do. It's a culture of doing. But why can't we start thinking of it as a, it should be a culture of being, right? Sit with it. Think of it as like doing your planning and then going forth and conquering. I love it. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> I feel like ending on a song, but I'm not going to torture our listeners. <laughs> Let them go. Let them go into their lives and live the show. Like that? Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> if you want to hear more singing, maybe we'll do an hour of dedicated show tunes next time. Maybe we'll put a link in the show notes to Sarah and I just singing terrible show tunes together. Send us an email or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter, Beyond the Dollar Podcast, and give us song requests, and we'll do that for you. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. And if you can think of one awesome human who would connect with what we talked about today, we'd love you forever if you shared this episode with them. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.